We just live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. You're in a lot of trouble, and maybe it's because, well, sorry, Canada. Ah, <laughs> 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 Toronto. And because Philly sucks. I feel like I fear Boston most of all out of any of the Eastern Conference teams. Nah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 60 of the Brew Hoop Podcast. It's your interview, Riley Feldman, here with you again. I'm going to go through every single week uh, to remind everybody who hasn't already listened to any of the interviews. I want to thank Adam, Kyle, and Andrew for coming on previously uh, in this series, the Inside the Basket Blogger Studio. Uh, next up here this week, it's a very special guest. Uh, Probably so. Co-managing editor is one title that he goes by. True. Another title he doesn't go by anymore. But we're going to get into that right away. I think. I think it's <laughs> the proper way to start. But also known previously as Wales Larry, uh-huh. uh, it's Mitchell Maurer. Mitchell, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Riley. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. We're surviving the uh, pandemic. Before we begin with Wales Larry, before we begin with the Bucks, anything like that, I think I have to ask, mm-hmm. and probably something I should have been asking Kyle, Adam, and Andrew. Are you team Zoom call? Are you team Teams call? What is your uh, video conference platform of choice in this, the pandemic times? I, for a, I mean, it depends on the audience, really. Um, I use Zoom with certain audiences. I use WebEx with certain audiences. Uh, for a few choice people, I actually use Google Hangouts because it's still around. Yep, and we haven't, it is. we haven't chose to use anything else. <laughs> um, FaceTime, obviously. Uh, if anybody happens to be an Apple user, um, they're all basically the same, right? Yeah. I mean, maybe Zoom will steal more of my data than Google will, <laughs> but it's all going the same place. It, it really depends on how targeted you want the ads to be. Like, do you want True. them just sort of targeted or like really targeted? That's I, I really feel like somebody went through the effort of adjusting the algorithm just right to make sure it hit on my specific interests for something that I'm going to hopefully ignore. It's... It's strange because I don't understand the internet at all. I'm a functional idiot who just happens to have an internet connection. Hey, same. Um, Which (laughs) it's a beautiful thing. I'm glad we're going to be speaking the same language here. But (laughs) I I think there's so much of it where uh, because I do a lot of search, like I try to use browsers that don't leak as much data as much as possible and like different search ends and everything. But even then you click on one link and all of a sudden I'm like, okay, how many more Wix ads for logo designs can I get on YouTube? Like just, it's inundated with it. The, uh, it, it's kind of freaky, man. I don't know. How do you feel? That does, do you, it, we don't have to get too deep into it before we get into sure. the books, but um, I think what's interesting about being a fan and partially what we're going to get into here is the being a fan on the internet and how radically different that is versus like, especially in the, in in the modern age where, because so much of us, we, we search so many like sports things, you kind of get inundated with that sort of stuff. So I I think maybe we'll start before we get into the bucks. Could you, as somebody who was sort of an OG, but you've been with brew hoop for a long time, kind of compare and contrast for you, how, how your fandom has changed from when you first started out with the site versus now, like what, what are you emphasizing? Where are areas that like, you, there's obviously a lot of social media interaction, like how much of that yeah. has taken over versus like tr- the traditional site, how you run it? Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, I started with Brew Hoop in about 2009, I think. 
previously I had been running with Acme Packing Company for the Green Bay Packers. I think that was about 2007 or 2008. Um, and it was actually something that I started doing because I moved away from Wisconsin and I wanted to figure out a way to like at least stay more in tune with the things from home that I did miss, uh, you know, sports teams, sports fandom, that kind of little sub community. Uh, and that was something that really kind of got its hooks in me with brew hoop was because the, with the way that Frank Madden ran the site, um, it was very much focused on quality and like interesting discussions and you get into debates and sometimes they got not necessarily heated, but they got like passionate, I suppose, for lack mm-hmm. of a better term. Uh, there was less noise earlier. And I think that's because a lot of big companies just didn't know how to effectively mask their noise. Yeah. Uh, and you know, with where we are now with, you know, Twitter and Instagram and TikTok, which I hear is a thing that the youngs use. Um, there are so many different ways to connect and they all basically do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so a site like Brube is actually kind of not old school, but maybe a little, a little dated in terms of what we offer to the internet because we, you know, we take something, we write it up and obviously we try to be as engaging and thoughtful with our content as possible. But once yeah. we post it, it's there, and the only real interaction that you can do with the content directly is in the comments, which you know we try to maintain as a, a fruitful uh, garden of ideas. If I'm going to yeah. use some buzzwords, um, <laughs> but yeah, there's there's just there's a lot more noise than there used to be, uh, and there's a lot of people that add to the noise without knowing it, and there's even mm-hmm. more people that add to it completely aware of what they're doing. Yeah. And so that's probably the biggest challenge that I have is trying to cut through and figure out what actually is interesting and what actually matters. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, that's, you just have to be vigilant, I guess. Do you find it frustrating when you're on Twitter, when you're seeing the stream of conscious consciousness, that is the kind of the discussion going on there, quote unquote discussion. Sure. Does it frustrate you that you don't have the ban hammer on Twitter? You have the block, you have a mute, <laughs> But does it frustrate you that you can't sure. transfer the ban hammer that you have at Brewhoop over onto Twitter? Frustrate, no, because it's not what Twitter is. Uh, what frustrates me about Twitter is how people have figured out how to weaponize is not the right term to use, but people have figured out how to use the environment to their advantage. So a perfect example of something that happens on Twitter all the time that really rubs me the wrong way is when somebody posts something and then somebody that wants to argue against it will quote tweet them and then have their <laughs> yes. snarky reply at the top. Yeah. It's like you couldn't at least reply directly because you mm-hmm. wanted to actually rebut the you know the statement. No, you wanted to get it to your followers so that you could get the pats on the back and you could get all sorts of applause in your own echo chamber. And so yeah. it's these like Venn diagrams that barely intersect. Mm-hmm. And all that does is further radicalize and push people to the extremes of what they already think because they're getting told with all the likes and the retweets, which releases all the serotonin. I'm told I'm not a doctor, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's not productive. That's the biggest thing is that on Twitter, a lot of the conversations are just not productive because everything seems needs to be confrontation. Everything like there's this rush to ratio someone when they're way out of whack, when all you're doing is further amplifying what they're saying and you're letting you're actively not just paying your attention, you're having other people pay attention. Yeah. As giving them what they want. And that's really frustrating. And at least in the comment section of Brew Hoop, I try to be 
as fair and judicious with my moderation powers mm -hmm. as I can be, yeah, I have had to get rid of people from the community when they're refusing to play by the rules. Um, but if I don't, there's a lot of things that get said on Brew in the comments that I don't agree with, but if it's done in a respectful manner where they're not necessarily causing problems, like that is exactly what we want. Yeah. I don't want to go, I don't want to go through life assuming that I'm right about everything, especially mm -hmm. if I'm going to get told by this very specific group of people that I'm right. It's just not, it's and, not useful. And I, I think it's almost double interesting because we're going way off track. We haven't started with right. why the bucks, but I, I, but I think going off of that, another thing that's been interesting about this year's team and last year's team is the fact that because they have this system that works so well mm -hmm. and because Bolzer doesn't really do much in the way of, I mean, he like experiments, but to a certain extent, that's kind of like the knock against him is like, we have this, what we do, this is what we do. Yeah. And so it, it's almost like difficult to find ways to criticize it or like, it, it feels like something that would be even more fruitful now to have these kind of side conversations and those happen. But a lot of it, it on Twitter and even a little bit in the brew hoop comment section where like, you'll complain about not complain, you'll like criticize or say like, Oh, I, I think this guy or how they're using them is suboptimal or whatever. It's like, well, we won like 65 games. It's like, okay, you know what? You're right. I can't really refute that per se. Right. But I, I think there's, it was almost more fruitful of a discussion when the team sucked because mm -hmm. everybody could be like, here, any idea could go really because we're at rock bottom. Like anything other than what Jason Kidd's defense is doing could be better. So let's just think about that. So I think that's, sure. that's, that's a, an interesting thing that maybe kind of tires me out a little bit about talking about this team in particular is there's not a lot of wiggle room. It's like the, the only topic you can really bring up is like, would Malcolm Brogdon, be like cool on this team and then obviously that's a pretty uh heated topic itself so i was like well right. i don't even really feel like bothering talking about that necessarily yeah it's it's difficult because what yeah it's very much like what you've said when the results are not positive it's really easy to criticize and mm -hmm. when the results are overwhelmingly positive like we talked a lot over the past years about the you know process versus results. And it's not just a way to beg on Philadelphia, which is a lot of fun, mm -hmm. but the process has been working and anybody who wants to detract from that process from the outside, it's, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy because if you argue that it's going to stop working when it stops working, well, what's going to make it stop working? I don't know. Kawhi Leonard going supernova <laughs> and the Raptors being perfectly suited to do yeah we're weakest against like um, yeah that happened and it super sucks and that is a, a monkey that's not going to be able to be easily cast from the backs of the butts but that's what they're going to be doing um is i don't know it's 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 hard to find things to complain about when the success is so overwhelming not just in terms of the number of wins that they get on a regular basis mm -hmm. but how many times have we gotten to the fourth quarter where it's just like this 12 point lead balloons into 22 balloons into like 28 and then garbage time comes in and it whittles it down back to a manageable level, but it's still a double digit win. It's like, there's so much about that that is interesting, mm -hmm. but the stuff the, like the way they're doing it isn't interesting anymore because it works and there yeah. isn't an effective factor to it yet. Um, like almost every single last 10 next 10 that I wrote this season could have been copy pasted from the previous iteration. Like, Oh, their defense is really great. And they space the floor and Giannis is the best player alive and their depth is really good. And yeah, yeah you can beat them if you get hot and that's about it. 
And yeah. then boom, you won to the next, you know, 10 game set. And it's the same thing. They go nine and one and well, and the season stopped because the world stopped. Yeah, that it did. Well, enough shop talk, I guess. We can probably get on to the, uh, the more personal questions, which... I'm sure uh, this is what everybody kept their subscription to the Brew Who podcast is here for. Absolutely. The, when I look at the analytics later, I'm sure that it'll, it'll slowly and then really precipitously after five minutes, like, okay, we're not getting onto it. So uh, we, <laughs> if anybody else is, you know, you've kept on this long, we appreciate it. And we're going to get into the actual interview portion. So I, I think as with all these interviews, it's a good place to start with... Uh, with the questions is why the bucks are, is it a Wisconsin thing? Is it a, your parents like the team? Is it a, you like basketball? What is it about the team that brought you to them? So I remember the 2001 team when I was, I think it was in eighth grade around 2001. I wasn't super into basketball yet in terms of pro basketball, because it wasn't really a thing in my household. We were very much ruled by the Packers. And then baseball was a thing that my parents to this day still enjoy, and I can't stand it. I, I shouldn't say that. It bores me to the point of just, I recognize that it's there, I recognize that people like it, and I just cannot empathize. I'm not on the same wavelength. And so have the baseball do the thing, and that's fine, just leave me alone. Um, and largely people do. Uh, when it was actually after the 2001 Eastern Conference Finals when they got jobbed and you know everything kind of fell apart the season after, that's when I really started following them because the team had a lot of their games, uh, it was before the Fox Sports Wisconsin deal, and so a lot of their games were broadcast on just regular TV. I think it was Channel 24 back in the day. Um, I don't remember the name of the network it was on. Uh, but it was like, it came on right after the Simpsons reruns, which is something that I watched all the time. And it was like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, well, this is cool. Like, I like this. Um, and, you know, they got worse and worse and worse. But I remember Tony Kukoc being on the Bucks. I remember when they drafted TJ Ford, I was really excited uh, even though he was a part of the LeBron draft and like, you know, the injuries are not his fault at all, but he wasn't anywhere near the most interesting prospect, even though he was chosen in the top 10. Um, I remember being very passionate about defending Larry Harris when he selected E. Jin Lian in the draft because I thought he was interesting. I was in college and I was very uninformed and quite done. <laughs> uh, but I was convinced that him and Charlie Villanueva and we're gonna somehow make it work because they were gonna stretch the floor. So maybe I was yep. uh, I was ahead of the curve the whole time and nobody knew it. You and Larry Harris, yeah, you yeah, both right? were you were a mind trust. Well, he he ended up he ended up uh, in a support role with Golden State during their yeah, he long did. run, didn't yep. he? So he's yep. a lot of people on Talk Radio spoke ill of Larry Harris because he quote unquote drafted terribly. And he did, but uh, he, <laughs> let's he's just probably, be honest. I mean, it wasn't great, but. <laughs> I mean, he, he didn't do a great job. The, the results weren't good. I can't speak to the process because I wasn't paying close enough attention. But, you know, he's with a, a franchise that has done pretty well while he was there. So it can't mm -hmm. all be that bad. Um, but why the Bucks? I mean, I, there was just something about basketball that I was really captured by. A lot of people, my wife even complains, not complains, but when I ask people what they don't like about it, it's like, oh, well, they just, it's just the same thing. They go this way and they score. They go that way and they score. And it's because if you look at just the microcosm of a possession, sure, that's all that's happening. You're rooting yeah. for one group wearing darker jerseys and one group wearing lighter jerseys and they're trying to put the ball in the hoop. That in on its face isn't interesting, but it's the trends that really interest me. It's like the mechanics of an 8-0 run that fuels a 12-2 run going the other way. Like what are the, the details that kind of flip the switches around to make it so that, you know, 
comebacks are a lot of fun and those trends when the things everything on the quarter is arranged in such a way like you can make something really interesting happen and so understanding how that works is something that really appealed to me yeah yeah i, I think one that criticism that you get it couldn't you turn that around and be like it's the same exact way for every single sport just depends Basically. on the size of the court Basically. and then two do you do you take on like a really sage tone, like a wise tone, and say it's a game of runs? Do you just say that really <laughs> quiet? <laughs> uh, no, but that is more of a personal feeling of mine because I have I've been told by others that I have a big personality, um, and so I tend to overreact when things happen just in life because yeah. I can't control my impulses, I guess, which is really more of a problem when you when you think about <laughs> it, but. Uh, so no, the sage tone escapes me, but maybe when I'm older, maybe I have more grades, I'll be able to uh, maybe be able to pull that off. Well, I think that that's a, a beautiful jumping off point. So we'll get into the brew hoop story a little bit more, but since you have just now admitted, and uh, I'm sure everybody would be able to attest if people that know you would be able to see, this is how Mitchell reacts when he's watching a game. What does your game watching setup look like? So let's say mm. I've asked this for like, if you're doing a post-game summary, if you're doing like the, so rapid recap next day, or like not a game that you have to cover at all, you're just watching the game. Are you emotive? Uh, there, there are like playoff games where like during the Raptors series, I would fall over like comically, like fake die either positively or negatively based sure. on what was happening in the game. Like that's how intense it can get. And I'm sure a lot of basketball fans can kind of relate to that, but how, how do you watch the game? Um, are, are you really invested obviously but is it like you're looking specifically for regular season like what are some trends here are some things that are interesting what does it look like for you so in terms of my setup uh it, again it depends on what i'm doing i'll either have the, you know, the television in the living room with my laptop and my phone uh so i can you know be on brew hoop and on twitter at the same time or uh if i'm able to stream it through league pass on my desktop because i've got a like a two screen setup uh, on my desk downstairs. And so I'll be able to just split between that uh, and then in my office chair. Usually when I'm watching, I have this running commentary with myself, <clears throat> excuse me, where I'll um, I'll make just my own remarks to no one in particular because my wife doesn't care because she's not a basketball fan. Like she's mm -hmm. picked up a lot. Or, like she can pr correctly pronounce Antetokounmpo, which is uh, impressive for most people. And I love her very much for it. Um, but I'll, I'll remark to myself like, oh, that's interesting that this substitution is happening or, oh, that's interesting that they're having this matchup and that, um, you know, when, when Budenholzer's defense first, uh, came aboard, I was like, okay, they're, they're going over screens a lot. Why is that? Like, why are they going, why don't they go under? Why don't they switch? Shouldn't they be switching? Is not switching what a modern defense does? Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I ask a lot of questions and, as the broadcast continues and as like the commentary on Twitter continues, I can kind of fill in some of the gaps from what I am observing and what other people are observing to kind of get a better understanding of it. Um, in the playoffs, I was definitely very exuberant in rounds one and two and the first mm -hmm. two games of the third round. Um, but a lot of times, especially when things are going wrong for the Bucks, I don't get angry. I don't get upset. Like maybe when I was younger, I did. But nowadays, it's just more like, yeah, I mean, if they're going to hit five out of seven threes in this mm -hmm. tiny segment, like, yeah, that's going to happen. Like, I don't know what you to do with that. That sucks. Um, 
I'm very open about giving praise to other teams' players, especially players that are not well liked by other fan bases. Like, I have no problem giving praise to Fred VanVleet or Marcus Smart or Inez Cantor or uh, Draymond Green. Like, I have no problem with that. When they do stuff that is objectively good and helps their team win, like, I, that's a good thing for them. It's it's against my personal interest as a fan and my team's interest, but that's just that's why they play the games. Yeah. Do you have, when you're watching a game, do you have like the streaming box score or so like, for example, I'll have like the box score up or whatever. And if I'm doing like a recap, I I think there's different approaches where you can either go into a game and say, here are things that I've kind of noticed across a couple of games. Let's see if that trend continues here. Or you're looking specifically within those 48 minutes for something like a highlight or something that really jumps out to you. Do you have like a preference between those two? Do you kind of meld them like a how do you kind of go about that? I do. I don't keep the box score open, but I will check it every so often. Especially, I mean, obviously, if I'm in a position where I'm not able to watch the game, I'll definitely have the box score open and refresh it. Uh, just like in the days of yore in the old internet, um, I don't really usually keep it open. I like to try. I don't always succeed. At least for the first half of the games, I try to experience it organically. And like if the broadcast puts something up, that's you know what the broadcast is there to do. But I, I try not to get bogged too far down in specifics, unless there's something that's like wildly obvious. Like I, you know, one of the many games, and by many I mean twelve, where the opponent hit like fifty percent of their threes in the first quarter. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, that's definitely something worth worth noting and worth looking at. But I don't I don't look at rebound rates. I don't look at assist percentage in the middle of the game. Uh, because I think that that's more important to look over a larger sample, you know, instead yeah. of just this one quarter or 24 minute group, it's, you have to look over a much, much, much larger data set. Yeah. Do you have a favorite stat, a favorite advanced stat? I think that's a, that's a question I wouldn't be able to answer because mm-hmm. I only have a rudimentary grasp, but I think once you reach a certain level, a certain plane of basketball analysis, people sure. generally have a favorite advanced stat. Is there one that you really love looking at? I like win shares per 48. Um, it's something that I, it, it's something that I like the per 36 numbers are really, really good for comparing people on the same uh, basic benchmark based on how much they would be playing if they all play the same amount of time. So you could actually compare the, you know, the productivity of Robin Lopez versus Brooke Lopez, even though one of them plays twice the minutes as the other, when you put them on per 36, you're able to get a, an, an accurate view of what they're doing. But, but win shares per 48 does the same thing and putting everybody on that same level, but just trying to quantify, and it's definitely not a perfect stat. Um, but trying to quantify how much of an impact they're having on their teams winning and losing, which is the ultimate goal of any sort of contest. Uh, That's, that's the one that I look to the most. And so even though it's like this infinitesimally small number, because it's usually, uh, I want to say like a 0.3 is a ridiculously high mark for for that particular metric. But like finally there's like a 1.24 and a 1.22 is, like that's interesting and trying to figure out and reverse engineer it. You can easily reverse engineer the formula, but yeah. but trying to translate what is happening on the screen in front of you to what's happening on the numbers on the, on the spreadsheets is, is something that's interesting to me. Yeah. So going back to brew hoop, 
uh, obviously you're the co-managing editor. Some would say you're the overlord, uh, co-managing overlord. Some However you want to go about it. I some, would some people are saying, some people are saying. <laughs> I, I'm hearing so, people say it. Everybody tells me. <laughs> everybody's, everybody's saying it. Everybody's saying it. So I think you already noted that you kind of got into Brew Hoop once you had left the state. Mm -hmm. So instead of talking about why Bruhu, because that's pretty straightforward, what was it like when you first started? So did you, I've heard stories like for me, Frank Mann, it wasn't out of the blue necessarily, but he tapped me a little bit out of the blue via email. I was like, oh, this is, he actually like offered to have me on to like even just write post game uh, mm -hmm. pieces. What did you, did you have to grovel? Did you get, uh, <laughs> did you get taken from the comments section and raised on a platform up. So what was it like getting started with the site, but you know, those, those early days when you first started out? So I, I started in the comments section because the discussion was, where, yeah, that's where everybody starts. Um, yeah. It's like the mail room, I guess, in like eighties <laughs> uh, era corporation. Uh, but I started in the comments section and that was there where I first started having these really interesting conversations with people that had been at the site for a while. Uh, Dan Sinclair was one of them, Steve Von Horn, Frank, whenever he was able to get into the comments section. Uh, I, I recall that Alex Boder was very infrequently in the comments, even when he was writing up Ruhu. Um, I mean, I'm sure he was around and he was aware of stuff. But he just didn't partake that much himself. Yeah. Uh, but I would essentially, I would get, I found myself writing really, really long, detailed comments with like tables and graphs and like a thesis statement. And it came to the point where, well, I, I really should put this somewhere that is a better forum for what I'm specifically trying to say because stuff gets buried in the comments and like the thread above gets super long and then mine gets pushed down and not as many mm -hmm. people are gonna see it. And yeah. it's not so much that I'm, I'm obsessed with trying to get people to see my stuff. It's just that I wanted, like I, I'm interested in quality discussion. I'm interested in asking questions and, and finding answers, even if they're not the ones that I wanted or preferred or thought I was going to find. Uh, and so I started doing fan posts on a regular basis. Um, and it was from there where I think Frank, uh, he made a general like help wanted post on the, on the main page. And so I responded to it at the email link that was there. And the like, the response that I got from him when I told him I was interested, I was like, oh, I was hoping you would uh, say something <laughs> because I'd already been doing it basically for free. And so all they did was change, you know, if I was doing it in the sidebar versus the main thing. And that was basically it. Um, yeah. And it was really sporadic for a long time because like when I had time to kill or a really, really, really good idea, like I would have a lot of stuff and I would put a lot of work into it. And when I didn't, or if I didn't have the bandwidth, like well, I, uh, my first job out of college, I was working overnight for a shipping company uh in this massive warehouse and that was just a terrible professional experience and <laughs> not a great life experience either because humans are not nocturnal most of us mm -hmm. at least yeah uh a lot of people i met that the schedule just worked for them it didn't work for me and i was there for two and a half years yeah. um but it, it was during that period where i was i was just not as active like i was on the site back in the comments but i wasn't producing as much um, but I got out of there and I was able to get back to it. And so it was very much a kind of come and go thing. Uh, as long as you kept up on stuff and you, you know, argued points in good faith and, and just tried to, again, advance the conversation and maintain a high standard for quality. Um, and then when Frank had to step down, um, like he just let everybody in the group know, and it was kind of an open, 
invitation, but it was kind of an open floor to see like, okay, who wanted to step in? Um, and I think me and Adam, like we had a discussion, we agreed that we both were interested and we didn't want to do it entirely by ourselves. Yeah. And so we basically just like, Hey, do we want to partner up on this? And like you handle the stuff that you're good at and I'll handle the stuff I'm good at. And we'll obviously, you know, coordinate and figure out what's going to work in between. And it's worked really well. There was never going to have to be a chance that you guys had to do like a grudge match, like uh, mud wrestling to figure out who was going to get the, <laughs> the, I, I the managing I editor the, position. I don't, I don't know the exact method. I do know that uh, SB nation was lukewarm on the idea when we proposed it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were able to convince uh, the people that were making the decision that it was going to work, and they they tried it out on a trial basis, and we managed to not screw it up. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so as a result, <laughs> we were able to maintain the status quo, and here we both are now. Yeah, is that the point at which you moved, you transformed, you you broke free from your cocoon that was Wales Larry into Mitchell Maurer? Or so I think for me. So I remember sure. commenting on Brew, and I remember Wales Larry. Yep. So I, I I I don't think I put two and two together until later on. But what what's the origin story behind uh, that that amazing nickname, that amazing username? That, that the story is gonna knock your socks off, Riley. I hope that you're buckled <laughs> in because it I'm is ready. a bumpy ride. Uh, so as a teenager, I, like everybody else, had access to AOL Instant Messenger. Some people called it AIM. Uh, my family called it AOL Instant Messenger. I don't know why to this day. Okay. Uh, and I, I wanted to, especially because I had a lot of people that I had gotten to know that I wanted to talk to that didn't live in Milwaukee. Uh, you know, some people that were from further up north and some people in like Illinois and Michigan, Ohio and other places. Um and so once I finally convinced my mother to let me do this thing, and no, I wasn't going to get picked up by some stranger on the internet because they can't mm-hmm. snatch me through the screen. It's just mm-hmm. not a thing that can be done, at least not yet, not with today's technology. <laughs> not yet. Just give it a couple of years, but not yet. Yeah. Um, so uh, she's like, okay, fine, go ahead. And, uh, and so I was able to avoid that problem before it became a problem. But I didn't know what to use. I didn't want to mm-hmm. use my initials because I didn't want to. and I didn't have any sort of nickname. Uh, so I just, I remember I, I sent a message to my friend, John, uh, who still lives in Milwaukee. Like, I don't know, like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, okay, we'll just mm-hmm. go to a name generator and just pick <laughs> what it goes. And so I did. And yeah. I hit the refresh button a couple of times and just, I didn't, I don't remember what words I put in there because I remember just putting, I think there was, there was a book on my nightstand, I think that the author's first name was Larry. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll put that in there. And there might have been, like, I think I just read an article about whales for something in school. And yeah. so I put that in there. And so that was one of the options. It was whales Larry. I was like, well, sold. So that became my AIM uh, screen name. It became, I think I had an email address for it. It became my yeah. Xbox Live Gamer tag back when that was yeah. the thing. And yeah. my uh, moniker with everything SB Nation. It's a really beautiful story. I thought there was going to be a, a deep, like, well thought out, like, you know, you you had this interaction with a famous Larry uh, and you really love whales, which really, in a way, that's kind of what that was, except it was helped along by the internet a little bit. I guess it was very much me not having an easy answer, seeking the answer that required the least amount of effort and then just leaning yep. all the way into it. Yeah. 
Well, it, my very first, I had, I think everybody who's ever used AIMED or AOL Instant Messenger has that same problem. And I, when I, I don't even know how old I was when I started it, but what I came up with was literally just that kid person. That's all I, and I, like, like you, I, I put it everything, email, usernames, whatever it was. I'm like, this is just going to be my identity. And there was a point at which I was, I don't know at what age where I was like, I was a little worried that I was going to have to be attached to me until I was like <laughs> into adulthood and mm -hmm. further into like, uh, you know, older age. Luckily I've been able to drop that, but I, I can relate to the idea of having to flail around like what do i do for like a name because i'm not going to use my my name on here like sure right. i'm not going to get snatched but i'm also not just going to put my name out there if i can avoid exactly it. and that actually brings us to a really interesting point because you mentioned that yeah when i took on the managing editor role that i you know i could have just not made any changes but i felt like it, i should make the change and like my display name on twitter was always my first and last name not always but it was my first and last name for a while and that, you know, it changed the handle and it changed a bunch of stuff and stopped using Wales Larry because a part of what makes the internet a bad place and a bad environment is the fact that people can embrace anonymity so much that it takes away all consequence from what they say and what they do. And there's a lot of people in our corner of the internet on Buck's Twitter that are anonymous to everyone except for themselves and probably you know their close friends that they want to be mm -hmm. in on the joke but and you know there's nothing necessarily wrong about or bad even about a lot of the stuff that that goes on but there's some stuff that is legitimately harmful and is legitimately problematic and using anonymity as a shield to separate your online persona from your real life persona is just it just is not right and that's, you know, I would not want to be a hypocrite on that front. I'm a hypocrite probably about a lot of things because yeah. I'm human and therefore imperfect. But, uh, but that was, there was a change that I felt was very necessary to make. Was there a period when you first took over where people were like, who the hell is this Mitchell guy? <laughs> and for who they're like, what? Okay. They're like, hmm, something happened to Wales Larry and this Mitchell guy just came over. And or, do you think at that point you were relatively well known as uh, being the man behind the mask as it were? I, I don't know. I think that the transition was relatively gradual because like my handle, uh, the at on Twitter maybe didn't change for a while, but like the display name did. Um, and I like every time I would email with people, I would use my real name when I email with people. Um, so I don't think it was necessarily a huge shock when it happened, yeah. uh, maybe for anybody who wasn't paying attention, but if they weren't paying attention, then they weren't a part of the, I don't know, 14 people that actually cared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just like to imagine there were like a couple of commenters where like you, you took the mask off and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe <laughs> Wow, it's another Dude. white guy from the Midwest. <laughs> would have ever guessed yeah it's uh it's an interesting those monikers but you know i think it i think going by mitchell it, it suits you better i believe it's just there's i, it I, I the agree i agree yeah. with you so moving off of uh your previous moniker this is actually pretty special I, you're the first interview i've had where i've had i i didn't want to publicize it too much i asked for some questions from some listeners so i i did get two questions for you so Excellent. this is from the crowd so our first question comes from a user on Twitter at Kyle Cochet, um, okay. aka Kyle Carr. So his question is: We know is, Kyle pretty well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so his question is: Why do you hate fun, specifically the reverse eating cam and Kool Aid? 
because it's disgusting <laughs> and bad for you and it's going to rot your insides and enamel on your teeth. And I'm just looking out for you, Kyle and Riley. Not you, Riley, the other Riley. Other Riley I know yeah. she's I know she's listening. I know she constantly needles me with the reverse eating and it's it's just so gross. Mm-hmm. It's so gross. It's it's an abomination. It's wrong. It goes against the natural order of things, and I cannot stand it. Like, just, ugh, just don't. Just don't. Like, okay, here's the th- here's the real thing. It doesn't actually harm me. So please do the things that make you happy. And again, I've got a big personality. I respond bigly to things. And yes, bigly is a word that I'm deciding is an actual word. I respond over the top to things that bother me. And so honestly, part of the fun is getting the reaction, getting the rise out of me as has been the case for basically my entire life. Um, but still, it's just, I don't need to see some 45-year-old dude like just bleh, a hot dog <laughs> out of his mouth. It's so gross. <laughs> it's just so gross. And I hate I, I it. Feel, I feel bad for people because they don't have the video right now, but the way that you <laughs> were able to, <laughs> the way you simulated that was so perfect. It was scary. Was there even a moment when, like the very first time you saw the reverse eating cam where you were at least a little intrigued before you went against or was it pretty visceral from the beginning? It was, I saw, I remember the first time I saw it, I think it was, was it last year when the Bucks had the reverse cam in yeah. the stadium? I remember seeing it and immediately, like just got stone face, like something's wrong. Like they're getting, the, is this person choking on their food? <laughs> And they cut to another. Why are person. we showing it on the on the Megatron or on the like, Jumbotron? Are they trying? Are they trying to summon help from the ushers? And they're just like they're trying to every every way possible to get attention <laughs> on this poor soul that is having trouble ingesting their their calories. Yeah. And then they cut to the next person, and it's like it was. It, I will say this: the first like three or four loops, it was mesmerizing. But as I caught on to what was actually happening, as my dumb brain finally figured out what they were doing. It was, it was then, it was then that I decided this is the thing I need to crusade against for the rest of my days on this earth, because it's just, Riley, it's wrong. It's gross. It's really gross. I'm not as thrown off, but if you do, it is, what's the term? I can't remember the term, but it's very surreal almost. What's, there's a phrase that goes along with that, but we're like, you seem like this you're right that it goes against the natural order. I don't react necessarily like it's we icky. need to stop this, but it, it, it does definitely be uncomfortable and therefore needs to be banned. <sighs> well, hopefully when you look back on your tenure at Brew Hoop, we'll have been able to have gotten rid of the reverse eating cam. That'll be your great accomplishment. Having that'll, that'll, added, that'll go uh, on the plaque at the 50 year celebration for sure. <laughs> So my my second listener question, uh, and again, this is really special that we're getting these. This is from at Adam R. Paris on Twitter. Um, he wants to know, why do you remain such a staunch defender of Jason Kidd after all these years? That's, that's what, okay. <laughs> and, and I should say, he, he did say, if you're going to ask this, this is going to needle him. So he yeah. knew going in, but that is word for word how he wanted me to ask the question. Yeah, I love you too, Adam. Um, <laughs> So here's the here's the thing, and actually this is this is timely with the post that Kyle wrote for Brew Hoop that went up, I believe, today. Uh, mm-hmm. What if the, you know the Bucks didn't uh, was didn't fire Jason Kidd? I think, um, or no, didn't hire Jason Kidd. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, I I knew that the, the, the here's here's my entire feelings on everything that happened in the Kidd era, almost play by play, but I'm not going to drag it out too far. 
like the way that they hired him was intensely problematic. Intensely problematic. Like just with the, how you manage staff, it was bad. Because even if Larry Drew isn't the greatest coach, like the way that they got rid of him is just not right. It's just not. However, getting a guy in that you believe is the right guy and taking that swing when they took it is a risk, but it's the sort of thing that if if they had been right and it did actually work, like it would have been worth the reward to go through that unpleasantness. Um, and I say this, I was not a, I was appreciative, but not a huge fan of Jason Kidd as a player. Um, you know, I, like many people had trouble reconciling his off court issues that, uh, had not necessarily plagued him, but that kind of tainted a lot of people's opinion of him, uh, in his chosen profession. But I thought that the approach of getting this hall of fame level, point guard, somebody who had an innate understanding of the game and wanted to focus on developing players and the players that we had in that needed developing, like Giannis, like Chris, Jamari Parker at the time, yeah. uh, among others, like I thought that there was a chance that that was really going to work. And then with the first year, with the defense being not necessarily revolutionary, but the way that it kind of took everything that the Bucks had and made it greater than the sum of its parts defensively, like there is a lot to like there, um, and so yeah. So I did essentially, and I've said this a number of other times that I stayed on on board the SS kid for far longer than most people did, and far <laughs> longer than they should have. I yeah. did eventually, and I, I wrote it publicly and everything else. I did eventually agree that yes, he needed to go. You know, it wasn't working. I was just probably eighteen to twenty-four months later than most people were, and those people were right. Um, but there's, there are a lot of things that he did that were helpful, that were useful. Um, it, it maybe it ends up that there's more negatives done than the positives contributed. And obviously Mike Budenholzer is a better coach, but really, if you look at the criticisms of Mike Budenholzer and some of the criticisms of Jason Kidd, the, at least the one, the ones that are at least on a parallel track, like they were both criticized because they didn't adjust. Mm-hmm. They both, they both are, it's said that they both need to be more flexible with how they approach certain things. And I think that could be said of anybody, really. Now, the mind games and the way that he handled Jabari and mm-hmm. a bunch of other stuff, like I'm very, very, or I feel very lucky. It doesn't affect me in my actual life in the slightest, but like Giannis was able to handle it and used it to push himself to be better. And it's one of those things where maybe that would have happened anyway, even probable that it would have happened anyway, but you don't know for sure. And it's not necessarily useful to talk about what could have happened instead of what did happen. And what did happen is that kid was coach for Giannis's formative years and mm-hmm. played a major role in turning Giannis into what he is today. Like there were, early on, he focused a lot on his footwork in the post mm-hmm. and low post offense and gave him the keys, the whole point Giannis experiments. Like, there were a lot of things that they did that helped Giannis become the player that he is today. The, you know, one time probably back to back MVP if that ever happens, which I hope it does. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the conversation at this stage in his career for entering the goat tier with MJ and LeBron and Kareem and Wilt, uh, because he's what 25, 26, and he's already done all this okay. and he's got all this time to do all this other stuff. Um, Jason Kidd plays a big part of that, 
even if people don't like to admit it. I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. I really look forward to the ubiquitous aggregators, which is what every NBA podcast complains about, locking onto this, and we're going to get a whole new wave of Giannis to uh, Giannis to Los Angeles to be with Jason Kidd. That's, that's what this true. Is, that's what we're trying to do. That is true. Yeah. Well, it's really that's strange okay. that we haven't seen more of that. There was like a little bit when it first started. Everybody was kind of joking, like, "Oh yeah, Giannis is definitely going to go to LA now to be with Jason Kidd." But uh, it seems no, like it's that's it's, been it's pretty... Golden State now, Riley. It's Golden it's, State. That's the latest buzz always changing it's gonna be the raptors next week trust me well <laughs> i've had to take it off the vulture talk because we haven't had the regular podcast but it's always shifting it's uh sure sure sure, sure. It's, an inter- it's an interesting moving target so thank you for answering adam i hope that answered your question and everybody else who has any long-standing grievances with mitchell's defense of <laughs> jason kidd hopefully that that puts it all to rest but i i think talking about adam and the way that we kind of have the site set up now um i kind of went into it a little bit with him but what for you two guys does the management process of the website look like? So like, what does, so the thing that I always marvel at, and I brought this up with Adam as well, and partially this is like blowing smoke a little bit because you're not my boss. Uh, we don't have that kind of relationship, but yeah, you're the guy not. who runs, you're, you're the guy who runs the site. And I think people who view the site need to realize how much heavy lifting you and Adam do on a week to week, like in the season, out of the season, like mm-hmm. how much you guys are putting out. And so what does, what does that relationship look like? How do you guys go about defining like, here's how we're going to break down things. You take these things, I take these things, or is it kind of like an organic as you go along? So what does the management of the site with the two you guys look like? From I would say, I would say it is very organic. Um, me and Adam talk on a regular basis, uh, usually just in DMs. Um, whenever there's something that comes up, if they're, or honestly, we don't even talk one-on-one as much as we do in the group, uh, necessarily about when stuff comes up or if there's an interesting idea or an opportunity for somebody to like write a featured post or something. Um, you know, when, when we're actively planning, you know, we'll, we'll probably either hop on the phone or just DM back and forth for a while and make sure we actually plan stuff out. Um, you know, we, we leverage that shared Google doc for all of our, uh, quote unquote quality standards and the schedule for publication. Um, but beyond that, we really kind of just, we, we check in with each other often, but we kind of gravitate more towards what we're, you know, what we have time for and what we feel comfortable doing. Like I do probably a lot more of the community moderation, uh, than Adam does because I just, this when I open up my computer on this, whatever breaks I have over the course of the day or in the evening, like that's just a thing that I first think of to do. It just is. Um, You know, for him, it's probably uh, doing a little bit more of the deep dives and the stats. And he, he does produce a lot more writing than I produce, especially lately. Um, We both try to keep an ear to the ground whenever there's somebody out there that we want to uh, offer a chance to, you know, join, join our group and, and see if they want to use brew hoop as a platform. Um, that's something that we, we're both active doing. Uh, I try to manage all of the inbound requests of people that want to join. And I, when I give them the answer, I never hear back from them, which is unfortunate. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's very much an organic partnership. We, we both do what makes sense. Uh, I think we both view the role the same way, which is really helpful. And that we're not, the, 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 the title might be manager, but we're not necessarily managing anything except for kind of coordinating the operations like the staff and stuff, but we're, we're stewards. 
we're not necessarily in charge, but we're the ones that are going to unlock the gym and make sure the lights go on. So the people that do have the talent, including yourself, Riley, can can come in and do the things that they want to do, that they enjoy doing, that are going to add value to the community. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, I don't know how other sites really do it. I don't frequent a lot of the other SB Nation sites, but I think the way that I almost view it is, it's interesting to me that when you guys first floated the idea of doing it, that they were a little reticent to it. And I'm sure they have the reasoning for it, but it feels sure. like when you're in the season, there's so much that you have to try and handle. Like whether it just be making sure everybody's gamer schedule is on top and not, not even to say, like I said, all the social media aspects, having to take care of deeper dives, feature pieces, you know, talking with you know, other people inside and outside of the, the site itself. Like there's just so many things to manage mm -hmm. that it, it feels like it would, not that it would be unwieldy, but I think, and this is also not necessarily the trouble that, SB Nation's model is in, but I, I think there's a lot that they put on your plate that it might be unwieldy to necessarily do at a high level if it was just one person. And and so I, I think it's interesting that they were a little uh, lukewarm to that when you guys first brought up the well, idea of it. From what I remember about those conversations that we had, uh, the, the the issue that was brought up was that they, they wanted a, a person to be responsible for when decisions had to be made. Uh, because if you don't have that, if you don't have one person that's in charge, you're gonna have a lot of this. And for those who are not on camera uh, for this podcast that you're listening to, I'm using my left hand to point right, my right hand to point left. Um, if you nobody wants to take responsibility for things that happen that are bad, you know. Uh, where, where me and Adam have made it work is that we've established this partnership where we're willing to take the responsibility for things that are our fault and for stuff that's not our fault. Uh, because that's, I think, really just the kind of people that we are. Uh, and we're both very big on making sure that the people that get, uh, that deserve the shine, get the shine. Um, like, we're, we're not in it for our own advancement in sports journalism. We're not in it for our own egos. I mean, maybe he's not. I definitely am, but I'm very bad at it. Yeah. Um, it's it just, shows. it's just, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Uh, <laughs> it just, like, it just works. And because of the detail because of the level of granularity that we can get to with our team, not just even our team, but like the city for the people that live in the city and like the fan base, which is international now, yep. like that is something that if you took a more generalist approach, that the, that level of specificity is going to completely disappear. And the level of quality is probably going to decline significantly. And yep. then, you know, then what are we doing that's any different than anybody else? Yeah, interesting. I, and I think we we talk about this in the group a little bit every once in a while, the, the changing landscape of sports media, which we don't necessarily have to get into here, but I think that's kind of an interesting topic, especially in these times to kind of keep sure. in mind. But but one more question about the site before we move into the more general potpourri as we wrap things up. What would you say is the biggest perk to being the co-managing at our brew hoop? And really, I imagine in my mind two options, right? One, being the guy who gets invited to go on sports radio broadcasts when the Bucks are doing something <laughs> and you, you get to talk to some guy in like Colorado with a really good sports radio voice. Or two, having, I can only assume you have Marcus Johnson on speed dial. Which of those two perks is your favorite? Oh man, I have not been able to get Marcus's number yet. No. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't necessarily know if I'm gonna have a lot of interest stuff to share with him, but he seems like a very nice guy and he would at least listen if I did yes. want to tell him something. That he would, yep. Uh, biggest perk. That's a good question. I mean, 
I'll tell you what I do enjoy the most. Okay. The thing that I enjoyed the most during my time at Brew was when I did get to finally cover games as a member of the media uh, this past season over the Thanksgiving uh, week of Thanksgiving. I got to cover the Jazz game where Giannis dropped 50 and mm-hmm. the uh, Atlanta Hawks game where Jabari hit like 28 in the first half and then disappeared in the second half. Uh, which funny story actually on that specific game. Uh, I don't remember exactly what he ended up with but he had a lot, like maybe 25 or something in the first half. And so I went down to the the media room with uh, with Gabe Stoltz, another member of our staff. Uh, and Matt Velasquez from the Journal Sentinel there, and Eric Name from The Athletic was there, and a couple of other guys. Um, and we were just talking about, oh, are they going to come back and win this game? And I was like, yeah, probably. They're probably going to win. And then the question was like, well, how many points did Jabari going to score? Like, like mm-hmm. It was like almost like people were taking bets. And yeah. Eric was like, 33. I'm like, 33 he's already got 25 so like yeah 33 because he's gonna remember these jabari parker and he's not gonna mm-hmm. shoot 70 percent on jumpers again and yep. to wit i don't remember the exact number but i do know as soon as the final horn sounded jabari had the exact number of points that eric said he would i, just, I went up to eric and was like you were right <laughs> he mm-hmm. didn't even say anything response just kind of looked at me because he knew he knew he was right yep. and that was a lot of fun um, but yeah, as a, as a, getting an opportunity to actually cover the team as media was easily the biggest opportunity I wouldn't have had if it wasn't for brew hoop. Yeah. But in terms of perk, like, I don't know if I've necessarily gotten anything else out of it, at least nothing that comes to mind, uh, outside of my own enjoyment. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, it's, it's a job, it is a job, but, uh, but I the the biggest measure of success that I have is uh, when I look through the comments and I see a bunch of like intentional discussions going on about not even the topic presented in the article, but about whatever topic is interesting to our readers and interesting to Bucks fans in general. Mm-hmm. That when I see that happening, and that's been really the most disappointing thing about the COVID shutdown because there's nothing going on. There's very little to talk about, and so like I don't care that our page views have tanked i really don't but i do care that there's that that forum that people had is like i care about keeping it there but people aren't as interested to come there right now because they've got other more important things going on and that's like obviously that's okay it's just something that i struggle with um and hopefully uh, if everybody can get their minds right and we can actually you know figure out what needs to be done and actually do it to get past the COVID shutdown, you know, basketball can come back. Maybe they can finish the playoffs. You know, next season can start at some point and we can get back to whatever the new normal is. Um, and we can have that back again. That's uh, yeah. that's something I look forward to. Yeah, it's been really interesting watching not only our own comments, but like even the discussion on like Twitter. I mean, it's a it's a graveyard out there. It's, it's real quiet. Like besides people every once in a while tossing out like, well, Giannis's father figure is Steph, so he's going to the Warriors. Like besides those, sure. <laughs> that's sort of content. But like even other forums, like basketball, whatever you want, it, you know, Bucks related or otherwise, it's just it's a graveyard out there. Which I mean, what else are you gonna yeah. do about it? There's only so many times you can really rehash the fact that the Bucks are like a good team. Like you were already, we were already doing that within the season, but at least you had new games to kind of refine that right. idea. Like right now, it's just kind of we're all staring at each other, sorta. So yep. 
All right. Well, I think that kind of wraps up the site-specific uh, questions. We're going to kind of get into the more general potpourri here. These will be a little bit more quicker, I hope. These cool. interviews end up going long, but I don't think people mind. So the first thing that I've asked every single person when we get to the uh, non-site-specific stuff, what is one thing you would change about the NBA? It would be either on court, off court, your commissioner Ooh. for a day tomorrow. What is one thing you would love to change? One thing to change. Yeah. Interesting. My brain is telling me to fix the charge rule so that you can protect players from trying to take advantage of the system. Like I'm, I'm not even bothered by flopping as much because players are playing by the rules and doing what they think is going to help their team win. Like people hate on James Harden because he flops for free throws. Like whatever the dude gets lots of free throws and then makes them and mm. is also an amazing basketball player and one of the best offensive players of all time. So I'm not going to hate on him because I don't like it. Uh, but the charge rule is really dangerous. It's actually one of the things that uh, from that Lakers game that Giannis sprained is that knee capsule sprain or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like that could have been a serious injury. And the only reason it even happened was because the defender was trying to draw an offensive foul. And it like, it's just, it's not a basketball play. It's just not, I'm not saying get rid of the charge entirely, but I'm, there's a lot of people that are smarter than me. Uh, I think Nate Duncan is one of them who like has legitimate reasons and legitimate alternatives to the charge rule as it exists currently. Um, and so that would be a thing that I would want to change is, you know, just in terms of the flow of the game and player safety, um, which what we say, we say is all most important. And I'm now realizing that is an extremely boring answer. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he could have gone something like make Giannis forever sign for the Bucks, like he has no choice. He could do something like that if you wanted. But I, well, I'm not going to take away player agency. <laughs> just in this specific case is all. No, I think I, I maybe almost go with it. I don't know how you fix the refing player relationship because that, that's kind of tied into the charges a little bit. Like you said, there's the flopping aspect of it, which I, I also don't mind all that much, unless, of course, it's within the act of trying to draw a charge or something along those lines. But I think, you know, we don't have to turn this into a last dance discussion podcast like every other <laughs> podcast out there just trolling for content. But there are times where like even a couple of like a month ago, I watched like a 1990s Bucks game. It's like the, the calls and then the very uh, nonchalant, like everybody just kind of moves on from wherever the call is made like that seems it's a pretty like direct counter to what you see today. So that's not necessarily yeah. charge related, but that's something that I would kind of keep an eye on as well. Yeah. maybe. I would also want to fix the – actually, this might be more realistic and maybe more popular is the whole replay system. Mm -hmm. Like, just let the people in Secaucus actually overturn the call. Like, mm -hmm. take that power out of the refs on the ground's hands so that they don't have to stick to their ego if they get a call wrong and they see they got yeah. it wrong and they don't want to, like – they don't want to admit that they're wrong, which I understand. That goes against a lot of people's nature to admit they're wrong, especially yeah. in their working environment. Um but yeah, the the replay system would probably need a good overhaul too. So mm -hmm. I have I, I feel I guess I'm less passionate about that than charges, which is uh, gonna probably be heresy for any Urson stands out there. But I'll have to take that chance. These are the things that keep you up at night, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> the charge charges and the replay system. Uh, but between that and the children, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who would you say your favorite? It could be Giannis if you want it, but I think it's usually fair for people to say that who is your favorite non-Giannis buck? You can be from like before you were a fan, if you 
really loved uh, John Burkowski for some reason. It could be <laughs> when you were a fan. Is there a player that you, even if they Frank didn't Burkowski. live up? To, was it Frank? Or, wait, yeah, Frank Burkowski. Sorry. Frank. Sorry, Frank. I know you're listening. Sorry about that. Don't <laughs> get my DMs. <laughs> so is there a player that either, even even if they didn't live up to the hype or whatever, sure. you just really liked them? For I absolutely adored Brandon Jennings. <laughs> I absolutely adored everything about his game. Mm -hmm. That 55 game that he dropped against Golden State within, yeah. what was it, ninth game or something? Like, I really, truly thought that he was going to be just that guy, that quick point guard that was an able distributor that was able to take jump shots, take threes off the dribble and just be really dynamic. And, like, he had a little bit – this is going to sound funky, and so please bear with me as I explain it, but he had that little bit of Allen Iverson to his game in that he was undersized and just had to find ways to make it work despite the fact he was tiny, like legitimately yeah. tiny. Yeah. Um, but And he was like so overly confident like to the mm -hmm. point of it being a negative, but I just – I absolutely loved it. Brandon Jennings and like when they brought him back for his stint in the G League and like finished out that season like I thought that was really really cool yeah. um I get that his Achilles injury and you know the, which highlighted the flaws in his game that were getting bigger and bigger as uh you know age was starting to slow him down a little bit too like yeah. I get that it wasn't he wasn't gonna be an NBA player after that uh injury in Detroit but yeah I had I had very 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 high hopes for him he was just he was a fun story he seemed like a fun personality uh i was a big big fan he should get some credit too because i think for the way that he played and like his like he says outsized personality it never seemed even when he got traded to detroit like the relationship ever really soured like he didn't necessarily and maybe there was stuff going on but i don't remember specifically off the time ahead like oh brandon jennings is like or he's a real trouble in the locker room and like even now you'll There'll be random videos like once every two weeks where he'll be hanging out with Giannis or like he'll be in a crowd at some gym somewhere. It's like, yeah. oh, there's Brandon Jennings. Like, I remember that, what's yeah. up to Giannis? Like, I, I think, you know, and like you said, doing that kind of full arc to come back and finish out that season. Well, I, I agree that it was pretty beautiful and it, a lot of fun. Like when it was when it was on, when it was fun, it was a lot of fun. It, and know, he did sometime. win. He did win. He did win the team a game in uh, against Memphis that season, too. Like he yeah, yeah. put up like. 17 six and six or something like that like he legitimately contributed because Bledsoe was hurt and yep. they didn't have George Hill at that time I don't think so like he actually yep. helped the team at least for one game it was a lot of fun it was a lot of fun I agree all right so for those who don't know we don't have to I mean I don't we can edit this if you want you live in Texas we don't need to get into where in Texas <laughs> but have you been Everybody knows that there are multiple NBA teams in Texas. Have you been to each of any or all of those stadiums? And if so, how would you rank the three? So I have not gotten a chance to uh, go to the stadium in Houston. I'd be very interested to go visit the uh, Bucks Rockets game. I was originally planning on going to the Mavericks game on March 26th that the Bucks were going to. Uh, I was very actually very excited to see Giannis play Luca. That was, you know, in the works before everything shut down a couple weeks prior to that. And so I have not been to the Dallas Stadium. I have been to uh, a Spurs game. I actually went to, it was the, not this season, but last season, um, it was the Pau Gasol game where the Bucks lost because LaMarcus Aldridge ate Pau's lunch on every <laughs> possession in the second quarter. It was really, really bad. And Budenholzer should have taken Pau out. 
Yeah. But uh, but that's okay. Uh, the Bucks did lose that game. That stadium was fine. It honestly was kind of reminiscent of the Bradley Center. It's like mm-hmm. out in this like warehouse district. Like the parking yep. lot to get in there was like there's all these like storage buildings and like ch- chain link fences with barbed wire above them and like rusty garage doors and piles of barrels and tires and stuff. Yeah. Like just gravel everywhere. It's all gravel. Um, so that's the inside of the stadium was nice. Fine. Everything was horribly overpriced just like anywhere yep. else. Um, honestly, the, uh, the Spurs G league affiliates uh, up in Austin where I live in, they have a nicer facility than the San Antonio really? Spurs do. Yeah. Yeah, they do. <laughs> I mean, Cedar Park, Texas is a, very, is a nice part of Austin, uh, which I believe is where the Spurs play their home games. Um, and like I said, like the court seemed fine. Uh, they did have a bat, though. They did have a bat in the game I went to, too, I remember. Um, and anytime that bats are just a topic you have to bring up when you go to a stadium, maybe mm-hmm. it's, it's, time for, it's time for something to get changed. I don't know. I'm yeah. not going to talk about it, do their business, but... Rest assured, Fiserv Forum is nicer than the Spurs home stadium. <laughs> That's good to know. For for all the fans who are wondering who have yet to be to a Spurs home game, that is your <laughs> definitive answer on that. Um, so two more quick questions here. One, uh, do you plan on indoctrinating your children into Bucks fandom? Have you already done that? Two, oh, yes. a little bit more of a okay, good, <laughs> good. Two, wider question: What do your friends and family think of your uh, really sexy blogging job? Do they? So you already said there's your wife. Sure, picks up basketball, but doesn't necessarily care too much about basketball. Do you ever? Are people like, oh, there's there's Mitchell. He he's out over there on his website doing his website thing. I <laughs> what I think find my it? I find my. It's actually a little frustrating. We're we're hitting a, an open nerve for me on that topic. On the second one, <laughs> um, I have to answer the same questions every time it comes up in conversation Mm -hmm. like it's not just oh you're still doing that which Mm -hmm. is you know it's already got some stank on it by itself but (laughs) oh wait what do you do like Uh what is this wait i thought you had a job like yes i have a job and i also have this job i have two jobs Mm -hmm. uh because i'm a millennial with student loan Mm -hmm. debt yeah um so so there's a lot of there's a lot of like oh okay and then people go back to what they're doing. Cause most people in my family and most people uh, on my wife's side of the family, just they're, they're, the interest in basketball just isn't there. It just isn't. Um, and it's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I try to convert them. Yeah. My dad pays attention, um, which is nice. And I appreciate that very much. Um, but beyond that, it's just kind of like a, Oh, weird. And then they move on and just do their yeah. thing. Uh, but regarding your first far more interesting question regarding the indoctrination, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. a thousand times yes. Uh, my oldest son, who's five now, uh, knows multiple players on the Bucks roster, can recognize Giannis if he comes up on screen. Um, when we uh, play games in the backyard, like he will this assign roles like, okay, I'm Giannis, you're Chris mm-hmm. Middleton, yep, and yep, that yep. tree over there is Thon Maker. And yep. then he does something. <laughs> it's fitting ridiculous. that it's the tree. Very fitting that it's the tree <laughs> stationary over on the side of the field. Yeah. Um, but uh, hey, he'll be fine. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the indoctrination is uh, is definitely in full swing with my oldest. My youngest is only, geez, 16 months. I, he's still at the age where you're supposed to measure in months. I'm going to yeah. stop doing that after he turns two. 
because mm-hmm. I'm not saying 28 months that's dumb and I'm not <laughs> going to do it. Um, but I mean, he doesn't really, he still just waves at cars parked on the street. So he's not quite mm-hmm. ready for indoctrination yet, but oh, he will be. Okay, he will be. Good. Good. It's a beautiful thing, I think. <laughs> I think uh, the, the idea of trying, I was lucky that my brother, he was really into basketball before I was. So I'm able to like, I have to do any sort of, and with my fiance, she, she like, she'll watch. And like last year during the Raptors series, she got into it, but it's a similar situation mm. where it's like, you know, it's cool. Like it's the sport's fine for like short stints, but I've yet to convert anybody to be like the, the whole sure. 82 just yet. So that'll be sure. my long-term goal, I guess. It's good to have goals. It is good to have goals. So the final question before I let you go here, it's a little bit, uh, I don't know, deeper, however you want to say. What would you say your biggest accomplishment is? Uh, it could be brew hoop related. It could be not brew hoop related. I, no, no offense to the site, but generally I think, you know, it would be ideal to have bigger accomplishments necessarily away from the site itself. And also do note that there's a possibility that your wife and or kids down the line might listen to this podcast. No pressure. On oh, God. This. Oh, no. That, no, thank you for coaching me as you asked. That's very helpful. <laughs> I feel like I'm sitting in front of Congress and you're a yeah. member of the friendly <laughs> party. Um, I, mean, I mean, I don't like necessarily uh, getting into all the parental cliches, although for anybody who doesn't have kids yet, um, every cliche you hear is absolutely true. And mm-hmm. you will find out if you go that path. And if you don't, that's fine, too. Um, no, but no, like having the family that I have and being in the position that I'm in right now is, I cringe to say it's a blessing, um, because you know, a lot of people worked very hard to, you know, for me to be where I am. And obviously there's a lot of privilege involved too, for being honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I have very little to not be thankful for, um, in terms of accomplishments, one of the, th- I mean, one of the things that I've always really enjoyed is putting people in position to be successful. Like when I played basketball, I was always very happy being a facilitator, not necessarily being the scorer himself. Mm-hmm. I also just didn't have the skill set. Or the <laughs> I was going to ask, was that forced upon you? Was that like was that I a could, conscious decision? It went, when I was younger, I could hold my own. I could, you know, I could. You could put me in the game with relatively high level competition. I, it would take me longer to get exposed than most. Okay. So there, there's there's me pumping up my own ego for a second. There's your brag. Yep, got that in. But but I do legitimately enjoy seeing people succeed, especially when I play a role in their success. Um. And so there have been people that I've worked with in my first company and my current company where they have been able to move on and get promoted and find success in their roles, in their careers, because of some of the stuff that I had worked on with them. Um, and that, that is something that's very gratifying to me. Uh, and, I, and that's something that's happened with the site, like people that have gone on to do very cool things. Um Aaron Johannes was a brew hooper for a long time and he went to go work in sports for a while. And that was a really, really cool thing. And I, I, I'm not responsible for his success. He worked hard to get what he got. Um, but I, I, I was a small help and, and that is very cool to me. Um, Eric name as a beat reporter for the athletic, which is a very, very coveted position, especially these days. Like he was on the brew hoop staff with me. And like the fact that I've been able to, you know, maintain my relationship with him is something I'm very proud of. And I'm very proud to see him have the success that he has earned. Um, but like he wrote his book, his hundred things that Bucks fans have to know before they die. Like yeah. I got an acknowledgement in that book because like I helped him do a thing. Like I 
just doing my own weird thing in my own little tiny corner of the world. Like I helped somebody do something that's like a really big deal for them. And that just, that it matters to me. Um, so I don't know if that's, uh, if that's a direct enough answer to the question, but the, I enjoy seeing people succeed and helping them along the way. And so whenever that happens, that's always a feather in my own personal cap that I keep, you know, locked away and only look at when I'm feeling really down or something, I guess. Yeah. Well, it's any consolation. I think you're doing a good job of it still as the, uh, the co-managing overlord of Brew Hope. Uh, Mitchell, I really appreciate you coming on for today's uh, interview. Is there anything that I didn't go over that you really would love our listeners or readers to know about you? Uh, oh, man. <laughs> I, usually, I, mean, I usually, I try to shy away from positive attention as much as I can. It just goes against <laughs> my nature. Yeah. Um, to know about me, I mean, I'm an, I'm an open book. You know, come find me on the site. Come find me on Twitter if you can manage going to that cesspool. Mm -hmm. um, and let's all just hope basketball comes back. That's really it. Let's hope basketball comes back. Well, great. Well, thanks again, Mitchell. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Next week, I don't know who our next guest is going to be, but I can swear to you it's going to be a Brew Hoop staff member. Uh, until we see someone. you guys next week. Yeah, it's going to be somebody, and it's going to be a great surprise, whoever it happens to be. But thanks again for listening. Uh, like Mitchell said, you can catch us over at Brew Hoop. Uh, find all of us on Twitter if that's your social media du jour. And again, thanks again for listening.